So look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 as we read these verses together. Hear the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And that's going to be the beginning of our sermon a few weeks from now. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you for this time once again that we can hear your word be proclaimed that we are able to sit underneath the teaching of Your Word, that it edifies us, that it builds us up, it shows us how we should live, it preaches to us the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask now that You would be with me as I, as I seek to lead us through these verses here in Ecclesiastes. May You help me to proclaim these things with clarity in a way that is understandable and May these people who are sitting here listening, may they receive these words with, with joy, with great joy. And may they not only hear them with their ears, but 
May they hear them with their very hearts and put them into practice. May you build your people up by the power of your word. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your character, and for the great gift of your promises here. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Now, you may remember that a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 9, I said that the preacher was beginning to draw things to his conclusion. Or he was drawing things to his concluding statement that he's going to make at the end of chapter 12, beginning in verse 8 all the way down to verse 14. So that's what he's been doing for the past couple of weeks now. And he's continuing to do that here throughout chapter 11 in the beginning of chapter 12. That's why I bring that up. He's continuing to draw things to a close. He's preparing us for the moment when he's going to finally, after I think this is number 16, this is 16 sermons today that we've been spending in Ecclesiastes. And so after 16 sermons, three weeks from now, we're going to see his final concluding statement on all the observations that we've seen so far throughout this book. But before we can get there, before we can see what he has for us there, we need to first hear what he has for us here in chapter 11, verse 1, down to chapter 12, verse 7. So what is it? What kind of wisdom does the preacher want to give us one last time before he wraps it all up? Well, it's really not all that different from what we have seen so far. Because here, once again, he tells us that we need to have a perspective on life that looks at the end and then learns from that reality. He gives us a perspective, once again, that looks to the future, and in seeing what the future holds, we learn how to live life in the present in light of that reality. But what's different about how he crafts this section, though, is that he does all this from the perspective of what it is like to grow old and then die. That's what chapter 12, verses 1 to 7 is all about, what it looks like to grow old and then die. And since that's the, the main focus of this section, that's what I want to handle first. Because once we see the point that he's making in chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, then we'll be ready to receive the, the wise counsel that he, wants to, that he wants us to see in light of that in chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. So look with me at chapter 12. And what I love about these verses, chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, is that they all form this one long poem. It's all a poem. And you may have noticed that when we were reading those verses a moment ago that it had poetic language in there. And you were probably thinking, what the heck is he talking about? You know, using all this language, what, what is he referring to? Well, it's a poem. It's very poetic. And the poem, like I mentioned earlier, is meant to communicate to us the reality of old age and the reality of death that comes afterward. And the way that he begins the poem is by saying in verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
within this verse, you and I are called to remember God during the days of our youth. And by saying youth, I I don't think that the preacher has a a certain age in mind because there are actually a lot of older folk that are still able to, to do youthful activities. They still have youthful abilities. So what I think that he, he means here is that youthful abilities. As long as you have these youthful abilities, you are called to remember your Creator. No matter what age you are, you are called to remember your Creator. Now, why does he call God the Creator in this verse? I mean, why doesn't he just say God like he's been doing throughout the whole book? Everywhere else that we've seen him refer to God, he's used that name, God, which is just a, a broad term for God. The, the Hebrew word is Elohim. It's just a broad term. But here he gets specific. He says Creator. Why? Why does he use Creator? The point of Him calling God the Creator in this verse is to show us once again, like we've seen elsewhere in this book, that we, human beings, are not the Creator, but in fact, the creature. You are not the Creator. You are but the creature that the Creator has created. It means that we are dependent upon Him. Everything that we have, everything that we do, we are dependent upon Him, the Creator, for it. Which means that if you forget the Creator, God, who has given you everything, including your very life, then you lose the ability to live life well. If you forget your Creator, if you live your life in a way that forgets Him, then you lose the ability to live your life well because you have forgotten the very source that makes everything good in the first place. And thanks be to God for sending the Lord Jesus Christ because we have all in our sin forgotten our Creator. We have all done that. In and of ourselves, we have all forgotten God. Thanks be to Him for sending Christ and restoring that. But that's why the preacher says to to remember the Creator while we have our youth or our youthful abilities. Because the evil days, as he says, are coming when your ability to enjoy God and His gifts will in fact be taken away through the process of becoming old and then death that follows shortly after. And in the midst of that process, you'll eventually say, like in the second part of verse 1, I have no pleasure in them. Speaking of the days when your body will wear out and won't have much life left in it. That's what he means by the the evil days. The days that we're about to see in this poem. So remember your Creator before those days come. Now, for the rest of this poem throughout verses 2 to 7, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to reread it, and you can follow along with me as I reread it. 
And I'm just going to explain and comment on some of the imagery and the poetic language that he uses so you can see it. You can see how it refers to old age, how it refers to aging and death. So let's start in verse 2. So he continues and he says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. The language that is used here takes us back to the creation account in the book of Genesis where God made everything. If you were to to read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you would see all of this creation language like light and darkness and speaking about different things like the trees or the ground or the sky or or whatever. We have that language here in verse 2. But instead of things being made or coming into being like we see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see here things being unmade. They're not being made, they're not coming into existence, but instead they're going out of existence. The preacher is showing that this is what happens as we grow old and then die. Our bodies, because of sin, are undergoing the process of being unmade. That's why when someone gets older, you know, they begin to become frail. And the, the freshness of life, I guess you could say, just slowly leaves. The process of being unmade is happening before our eyes. That's what the point of this language is here. And he continues, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, that refers to your hands. When you get older, your hands begin to tremble. They can't do what they used to do. They don't have the youthful strength. They, they tremble. And the strong men are, are bent. That refers to the back and to the legs. You know, whenever you see older people, sometimes they, they kind of hobble around like this. Their legs are bent. Their backs are bent. The strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. That refers to the teeth. The older you get, I mean, now we have you know, orthodontics and stuff like that, but then they didn't have that, so if a tooth fell out, well, it was just gone. And you know, over the years, you had few and fewer. So that's what he's referring to here. The grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dim. That refers to the eyes. The older we get, the less that we can see. Your eyes grow dim. Again, we have surgeries that we can undergo that help that. We have what's called glasses and things like that. But again, back in that day, if your eyesight went bad, then you just had to deal with it. And the doors on the street are shut, referring to the ears. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, referring to that when we get older, we don't sleep as well as we used to whenever we were young. You you hear the slightest noise and you wake up at night. You don't sleep very well. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. When you become older, you can't do what you used to be able to do. You are afraid of what is high, or heights, 
Older people don't like to venture outside because of the slightest thing that can happen. You know, when you're a child and you fall or you twist your ankle or, or whatever, a kid can just jump back up, recover in a moment. But when you're older and that happens, it could be the cause of your death. I can't tell you how many times that whenever I was a fireman, we would go and these elderly ladies or elderly men would fall and they would fracture their hips. And that would actually be the cause of their death because they couldn't recover from it. So that's what he's saying here. And the daughters, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Can you guess what that means? You have white hair. (laughs) The grasshopper drags itself along. Elderly people tend to shuffle. They don't walk or, or hop or skip jump or run, they, they shuffle along. That's what he's referring to there. And desire fails. The older you get, the less desire you have to do anything. And most of the time when you see elderly people, they, they're very content just to sit in their house because it takes a lot of effort to just go to the mailbox or what have you. Desire fails the older that you get. Old age takes a desire to a way to, to do anything. It fails. Continuing, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, referring to the source of life being cut off, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And all of these things refer to life being taken away. Life being spilled out, like the golden bro- the, the golden bowl being broken, or the, the pitcher being shattered, and whatever was contained in this vessel is now spilled out. It is lost. And so our bodies are the vessel. And when you become elderly and you die, they're broken. And the life that was once inside is now spilled out. It is gone. That's what's being referred to there or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. That's beautiful, is it not? As I was reading that and studying it and just seeing all of this imagery come to life, I was like, man, this is awesome. I can't wait to just share this you know, with the people. You read this poetry and just watch it come alive before your eyes. But at the same time, they're actually very shocking, are they not? Because the fact is, if you live long enough, what we just read is going to happen to you. Or it may already be happening to you. These these verses are beautiful, but at the same time, they can be very shocking. A cause of fear when you read that one day you're going to shuffle along or you're going to lose your eyesight, or your hearing, or you're going to be bent over, you're going to lose desire. These things can be the cause of great fear. You are going to grow old, and then you are going to die. And the point is, you can either do this well, or you can do this not so well, and completely waste the life 
that you have been given by God. You can be the old person that everybody wants to be, or you can be the elderly person that nobody wants to be. And, and believe me, they're out there. I've visited some of them. And I'm sure you have too. You can go into some of these elderly people's houses, and most of the time, if, they're, if they have wasted their entire life and now they're just wasted away, then they tend to not like preachers because I'm coming to tell them that they have indeed wasted their life and they need to turn to Christ or they're going to find something even worse in the days to come. But you don't want to be like that. Nobody would say that I want to live my life in a way that when I become old, I want, that I want to be somebody that nobody wants to be because they're just grumpy. They don't love anybody. They don't love anything because they've spent their whole life just wasting it and now they're elderly and all they want to do is just die. Nobody wants to be that way. I don't want to be that way. I want to live my life in a way that whenever I become elderly, all I have to look back on is great memories because I enjoyed what God gave me. And I think that's why this poem is very, in a paradoxical way, beautiful. There are fearful things here, but as you read, they are beautiful. And I think that's what the point is. You can either live life well and enter into old age well, or you can waste it. And it can be very dark and fearful days ahead for you. Because you did not remember your Creator, or because they did not remember their Creator, speaking of the, the person who's old and has wasted their life. They're just miserable and, and now they just waste away into death. But the preacher, he, he doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want your life to end up that way. And in fact, God Himself does not want you to end up that way. He does not want you to live your life like that. And that's why these verses are here in this book. That's why this book is in the Bible. That's why God put it there. So that we can read these verses, so that we can read these poems, this, this poetic language that just takes us by the shirt collar and jars us into reality. That's why these things are here. So that you can read them and see them and then learn from them. That's why these verses are here. God wants you to take His gift of life and live it in a way that remembers Him, the Creator, who gave it to you. Now, the question is, how are we called to do that within this passage? What does the preacher have to say in this passage that will help us to live life in a way that remembers our Creator well? He calls us to do three things. He calls us to be bold. He calls us to be joyful. And He also calls us to be godly. And that's what we see in chapter 11 in verses 1 to 10. And just so you know, be bold, be joyful, be godly. Those aren't original with me. I didn't come up with that. I was actually wrestling a lot trying to figure out how to just walk through these verses in a very simple and memorable way. And one of the commentators, Derek Kinder, that I've been reading throughout this book, that's how he summarized chapter 11. 
And so I read that and I was like, man, that's great. It's simple. It's easy to remember and it communicates exactly what the preacher's talking about here. Because he wants your life to be filled with boldness, with joy, and with godliness. So look with me at verses 1 to 6 in chapter 11. Be bold. The first thing that I want you to notice in these verses, in verses 1 to 6, is that he once again shows us that life is unpredictable. We've been seeing that a lot throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Life itself is unpredictable, and he shows us that once again here in these verses. And he says things like, you not know what you know not what disaster may happen on earth. That's the second part of verse 2. And that one's pretty self-explanatory, right? We get that. I can understand that. But what about verses 3 and 4? He says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. That's verse 3. And at first... This verse is strange because we can predict those things, can't we? I mean, if you can look outside and see that the clouds are dark, then you can predict pretty well that it's probably about to rain. And if you see a tree fall to the north, then you can predict pretty well that that's where it's going to fall down and that's where it's going to lie, unless somebody moves it. So what's his point? We can predict those things. The point is this, can you predict the exact moment when the clouds are going to come? You can't. Think about the Weather Channel and the people who do that for a living. They often predict something and it doesn't happen. I remember I was working with a guy at the fire station one day and he was the type of guy that he was all about his possessions. He loved his the things that he had. Well, one of the things that he had was this. It was a really nice Corvette. It was a nice car. Well, he drove it to the station one day. And he cleaned that thing, waxed it. It was spotless. Well, the next morning when he went to drive it home during, after shift change, it started raining. And he was ticked because he had watched the weather and they said that the rain wasn't supposed to come in or move in until later on that day. Well, they were wrong. And his car got dirty. <laughs> well, I laughed. I thought it was pretty funny. But anyways, you see what my point is. You can see when the clouds are here that it's probably going to rain, but when can you predict the fact that they're actually going to come or when they're going to leave? You can't. And the same with the tree. You don't know exactly when that tree's going to fall, and you don't know the exact direction that it's going to fall. You can tell a little bit, but it's unpredictable. And if you try to predict these things, then you'll be like the farmer that he mentions in verse 4, where he says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So this farmer, he's trying to predict the unpredictable. You know, he's going outside every day. He's trying to, to find the perfect moment to plant his crops, right? He goes outside, maybe the wind's blowing 
a little too hard, or maybe it's a little too cloudy, or whatever. He keeps looking, and he doesn't find that perfect moment. And so he just never does anything. He's scared. He's paranoid. He's looking for the the perfect moment to plant his crop, but he never does anything because there is no such moment. There is no such time as the perfect time. And that's what his point is here. And so the preacher says in verse 5, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman, with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Again, similar to the clouds, to the wind, to the tree falling, just like those, you don't know how the Spirit comes to the bones of a child in its mother's womb. Even with all of our technology that we have today, you know, the technology of ultrasound, being able to go and to tell what gender your your baby is very early on. Even in all of that technology, you cannot see that in some moment of time, God Himself actually breathes into that little piece of flesh, which is a child, He breathes His Spirit, life. He actually Himself breathes life into that being. And there is no amount of technology that will ever be able to see that. We will never be able to understand that. We can understand a lot, but we will not, we will never be able to understand all of it. There are still some parts that are unpredictable. So the point is, is that you do not know. And that in light of your not knowing, in light of the fact that life is unpredictable, He says things like in verse 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Then in the first part of verse 2, Give a portion to seven or even to eight. And then in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Don't just sit there, is what he's saying. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity to do something. Because if you do, then you will be like the farmer who just sits on his butt all the time and never accomplishes anything. You will waste your life waiting for the perfect opportunity. So instead, be bold with your life. And take the risk, because in everything you do, there is always going to be some type of risk. Now, there are some who take this this language that he uses here in verses 1 to 6. There are some that interpret them and say that it's primarily about wisdom in the, the business world. Because they take cast your bread upon the waters to mean something like the sea trade or oversee investments. You know, cast your bread, your, your wealth, or whatever it is you have, cast it on these ships and let them go out to all these different countries and all these different investments, and then one day you'll see the profit because it will return to you. And the same could be said about verse 6, the, the farmer sowing his seed. 
You know, don't just sow your seed in one field. Don't just put all of your eggs in one basket, you could say, but scatter them out. Because if disaster comes, and if it destroys your one investment or your one field that you planted in, then your whole profit is ruined. So just spread it out. And that's good business advice, is it not? I think any professor at a college that taught business would tell you that. Or any wise investor would tell you this advice. He would tell you, like the preacher says here, to cast your bread upon the waters or to sow your seed in different ways. However, I don't, I don't think we should primarily take that interpretation. I don't think we should primarily interpret these verses in that way. And this is my reason. I want you to listen to how Jesus interprets things like this, things like these verses. And this is from Luke chapter 12. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with this, this parable that He's about to tell the crowd that was listening on. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, and he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my, my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That man in the parable could have gotten all of his wealth by following this advice that we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. He could have cast his bread upon the waters, on the sea trade. He could have sowed many fields. He could have put this advice to use. But if it's all about the abundance of possessions and what you gain in that way, Jesus says that you have indeed wasted your life. No matter how much you have. No matter how much success you have in the business world. Jesus looks at you and He says, you've wasted your life. So how are we to interpret these verses? How are we to put these verses into practice then? Well, Jesus tells us in the parable. He says, be rich toward God. Or as these verses are saying, be bold. But don't be bold for the sake of this world, for the sake of business, for the sake of success. Be bold for the kingdom of God. Be, go be bold for the kingdom of Christ. Be bold and take risk with your life, with your possessions, with your resources that store up treasure or reward in heaven and not here. Be bold in that way. Because if you cast your bread upon the waters, 
for the sake of the kingdom of Christ, then you will certainly find it after many days. You will certainly find your reward after many days because there is nothing that can take it from you, no matter what disaster may come. Because Jesus Himself will hand it to you on that day that is coming. And let me just say, you don't have to be young to do this. You do not have to be young or youthful to be bold for the kingdom of Christ. For the older ones that are here, if you still have youthful abilities, you know, if you're still able to get out, if you're still able to speak, then use those abilities for the kingdom of Christ. Don't be content just to sit in your house and watch the news all day. And don't be like many who just work, work, work and work some more so that they can build a better tomorrow in this world for the coming generations. You know, for your grandchildren or for your children. They need something a lot more than just a brighter tomorrow in this world. Because remember, this world is passing away. So use your, your experience, your, your elderliness to teach the younger generation that very fact. That this world is passing away and that what they need is Christ and the Gospel. Teach them that with your words. Teach them that with your resources, the way that you spend your money. You know, give it away for the sake of Christ. I'll give you an example. This example comes from experience I had whenever I was probably about 19 and with Bill Ezel. Most of you know Bill, if not all of you. Uh, Bill's dead now. But whenever I was 19 years old, I had just recently gotten off of probation and I was trying to, to get a job at the fire department. Well, in order to get a job at the fire department, you can't have a felony on your record. You know, that has to be taken off, expunged, or whatever. Well, in order to get this expungement, you need thousands of dollars for a lawyer, which I think is just ridiculous for people who are trying to you know, actually get a good job or whatever. Well, I didn't have that money, you know, in that moment. Well, Bill Ezel called me, and I was at Leslie and Keith's house that day, I remember. He called, he's on the phone, and all he said was, how much do you need, Ryan? Now, I didn't take the money from him because, you know, I was able to work and to earn it on my own. But the fact is, is that he was ready to give a young punk kid who was not able to give that money back. And Bill didn't do that just so he could be thought of in a good light in this world. Bill didn't care about being made much of in this life. He did it because of the mercy that he had been shown from his Savior, from Christ. He had been given mercy and he wanted to repay that mercy, to show it to someone else. So that's the boldness that I'm talking about here. Young or old, how do you use what you have? How are you bold? 
Because if you're just bold in success, then God's not going to be impressed at all. But if you're bold for His sake, for the sake of Christ, then He will say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest of my kingdom. So be bold in those ways. The second thing that He calls us to do in chapter 11 is to be joyful. And we find that in in verses 7 down to beginning of verse 9. And within these verses, we see similar language that we saw earlier in the poem of, of chapter 12. He says things like, Light is sweet, referring to light. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. We saw that language in the poem earlier in chapter 12. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember. We see that word again. Remember that the days of darkness, darkness is used again, will be many. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Youth is used again. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. There it is again. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. He uses Sight and eyes, once again, all referring back to the poem that we just read through. So do you see what he's doing by bringing up this language again? He's saying to you that you need to enjoy these gifts from God before the days come, the evil days, before they come and they take those things away. Those days are going to come and they're going to take your sight away. They're going to take your hearing away. They're going to take the ability to chew and to taste food away. They're going to take the ability of your hands away. So if you can still see, no matter how old you are, then enjoy the light and also every other beautiful sight that you can see in this world before it is gone. If you can still taste then enjoy the goodness of food until you just can't anymore. If you can still hear, then enjoy the beautiful sounds that this world is filled with. The music, the birds, the the vast creation that makes wonderful music itself. Enjoy those things for as long as you can and so on and so on. And yes, he's primarily talking about the youth here, but... But once again, this also includes anyone who has these abilities. Whether you are 18 or 80, rejoice in all the days of your life, as he says in verse 8. Rejoice and enjoy until you just can't anymore. And these verses, they also take us back to one of the main themes that we've been seeing throughout this book. The theme that life itself, The life you've been given is a gift from God meant to be enjoyed. Not for us to take and use for some type of gain in this world. No. Life itself is gift, not gain. Now finally, the preacher calls us to be godly. Continuing in verse 9. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, 
and put away pain or, or evil. That word there, the Hebrew word there for pain, it literally means evil. Put away evil from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So here again, we have this perspective, not just on today, but on the days that are coming. Like what we saw in the poem, the evil days, the days of old age that will steal away your joy, that will steal away your abilities. But even more so, what's coming after those days, which is the day of judgment. After you grow old and then after you die, after the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, after all of those things, you're going to stand before the judgment throne of God. And from what we can understand in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the one who's going to be sitting on that judgment seat, that throne. And one of the ways that He is going to judge you is by looking at how you enjoyed the gifts, your life itself and the other gifts that you, were be, you have been given during your life. How did you live your life? How did you enjoy the gifts that you, were been, that you had been given? Did you enjoy them in a way that makes much of Jesus? Did you enjoy them in a way that makes the gift just a means to an end? The gift points you to Christ. Or did you enjoy the gift in a way that forgot God completely? Did you enjoy the, the life that you had been given, the gifts that you had been given in a way that shows you forgot your Creator? He's going to ask you questions like that. And He already knows the answer. So if you lie, it's not going to work. And if you forsook Christ and just wanted to worship His gift, which by the way, we have all done, like we were talking about a moment ago, we're like the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2, where God says, Be appalled, O heavens! Because my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's the first evil. And then they have hewn out or dug out cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Speaking about the gifts. You know, we, we forsake God, we turn our backs on God, and we want His gifts. We seek life in those things. We, we've all done that. And if you stand before Him on that day without being covered in the good news of the gospel, without His righteousness, then He'll cast you into hell where He'll give you what you want, which is separation from Him for all eternity in everything that is good. Because He is where goodness comes from. So let us be bold for the sake of Christ. Let us be joyful in a way that makes much of Christ. And let us be Christ-like or embrace godliness. Father, we come before You and oh how I thank You for this beautiful language that we find here in Ecclesiastes. 
This book is so wonderful. It's very hard and I have very often not presented it in an in a adequate way. There's so many things that are here that I have not been able to preach on. But I pray that even as we, we begin to, to close out this book, as we only have one sermon left, I pray that your people would continue to read it, to enjoy it, and to find the, the fountains of, of life-giving water that are here. And if there is someone here who has wasted their life, their entire life, may they know that even in those days, like the thief on the cross, Christ is still able to save to the uttermost. Father, we thank You for Jesus, and it's His name we pray. And to His glory we pray. Amen.